My name is John Ravichander. I'm one of the pastors here at Circle. I'm the director of youth and young adults. I'm just so thankful to be with you here this morning. Thank you for having me. I, don't, I know you don't really have much of a choice, but nonetheless, thank you for, for having me this morning. Uh, we wrapped up our series on forgiveness with Pastor Bob last week. And these last couple of weeks, I've just been discerning and just praying about uh, what to speak on today because we're kind of in between series. We start a new series next Sunday, so it's kind of a bit of an awkward awkward spot. And so today in a one-off message, I want to talk specifically about this word, injustice. And I'd actually want to talk about what biblical justice is versus worldly justice, but I felt strongly as I prepared um, in my writing a, a week and a half ago and in through this week, I felt strongly that we needed to lay some groundwork before we broached that subject. You see, the problem of pain and suffering, the problem of injustice in the world is the biggest problem in the world when it comes to maintaining faith in God. It is. In fact, more people have stepped back from God because of their inability to reconcile a good and loving God with the injustice, with the pain, and with the suffering in the world than any other topic. That's just the reality. And so the argument pretty much goes like this. If he's good, he would. If he's good, he would, and if he could, he would. If God is good, he would get rid of all the pain. He would get rid of all suffering and all injustice. So he either lacks good or he lacks could. Or maybe the more logical conclusion that many people have drawn is that there is no God. Now today, I want to talk about the logic behind that assumption because it is an assumption because it deeply matters. It deeply matters. Before we can talk further about biblical justice and worldly justice, I would like to do that at some point. We have to get this right as a church, as a community, because one of the defining characteristics of modern teenagers, of Generation Z and millennials, is their passion for confronting injustice. So how we talk about justice and how we talk about injustice and how that intersects with our faith could be one of the great evangelistic opportunities for this next generation. Because many people have not and many people cannot be reconciled with the notion of an all-loving, all-powerful Christian God with the pain and suffering that exists in the world. Now, before I do, if, if you are here, and if you're watching this online right now, if, if you have ever leveraged suffering, that's, you know, how could there be a good God if, if pain and suffering and all these bad things are happening in the world? If you have ever done that, I just want to say something to you directly, because this was me in university for, for years. I want to advise you, proceed with caution. Proceed with caution when commandeering other people's pain to build up your case against God, because the truth is, suffering, and some of you can identify with this, suffering for many, many people in the world actually ends up being a path that leads to God. But this is one of the, new, the things that particularly new atheists, younger people that have maybe left the church, left, left the Christian faith, it's one of the things that those people are a bit guilty of. They kind of cast this, this wide 
net. You know, look at all the pain and look at all the suffering in the world. You know, just look at Ukraine. Saturday, yesterday, we just passed a two-year mark of the war in Ukraine. How about that? And because there's all this pain and all this suffering in the world, there cannot be a good God. Now, to that, I would say, if you were to talk to one by one, all the people who are experiencing pain and suffering in the world, what you might discover is that extraordinary suffering often leads to extraordinary confidence in God. Now today, what I really want to talk about is simply this, and it's up on the screen behind me. Pain and suffering in this world is not an argument against God's existence. That is the bottom line for this Sunday. Pain and suffering in this world, it's not an argument against God's existence. As we're going to see, it is a reminder that pain and suffering and injustice in the world, it's not an argument, argument against something. It's actually a reminder that we actually need God. In fact, there is no rational argument against the existence or involvement of the God of Jesus based on injustice in the world. There just, there just isn't. Now, it's an emotional argument. That's true. It's an emotional argument, and when you hear people make it, especially based on their own personal suffering, you get it, right? I I, I get it. I understand it. How could a good God allow this? How could a good God allow that? How could a good God allow this situation or this circumstance to happen? I think we get that. I think we all have enough empathy to be able to insert into someone's question and into their pain. But this whole idea of throwing up all the injustice in the world in God's face to say that God doesn't exist, well, it just doesn't hold water. It's emotional, it's powerful, it's moving, but it's just, it's just not rational. In fact, injustice in the world calls into question perhaps the justice of God, but not the existence of God. Now, this is a really big deal. Injustice in the world, because there is injustice in the world, as all of you are very well aware, there's so much senseless sufferings. And Christians, we claim to worship a good and holy and right God who's all about the right things and who's all about love. But the fact that there is injustice in the world, the fact that there's pain and suffering in the world, it calls into question the the justice of God, but not the existence of God. So here's a big question I want to throw out to each of you this morning. Why do we assume that if there is a God, that God must be good and just? Why do we make that assumption? Why do we assume, well, it can't be God. Look at all the pain and suffering in the world. Now, there's something called a presupposition in there. You know what a presupposition, right? Something that you assume before you can kind of continue with the thing that you're already thinking of. Now, the presupposition is if there is God, God must be good and just. And since bad things happen and unjust things happen, there must not be God or God's not being God or God's not behaving. But this is really important. This is a really important question, especially for us here in the Western world with our first first world thinking. Where did we get the idea in the first place that God must be good, and that God must be just. Where do we get that thinking from? 
Because you see, the leverage, the goodness and, and justice to argue against God or to make accusations against God based on you know, you know, bad things happening and unjust things happening, there must not be God or God's not being God. We have to assume that God is good and that God is just, but who says who says that? Who says those things? You see, the pharaohs, they didn't believe that the gods were good and just. They didn't believe that. Julius Caesar did not believe that gods were good and just. So why do we assume? Why do we assume that if there is God, that God must be good and just? And the answer is, someone told us that. Someone told you that. That's why we believe that. But here's the next question. That someone who told you that God is good and, and that God is just, where did they get that from? Now, I can tell you where they didn't get that from. Let's start there. They did not get that by observing nature. They did not get to that conclusion by observing nature. You see, nature is not good, and nature is not just, and nature is not they did not get that from the ancient gods. You see, in fact, the reason that people believed in, in the ancient gods was because of evil and injustice. They looked at evil and injustice in the world, and they tried to come up with, with an explanation, and they blamed it on the gods. Now, if you've walked away from faith because of injustice, because of pain and suffering that you've observed in, in the world, or maybe in, in your own Life, or maybe you're ready to walk away from the Christian faith. I am absolutely sure if I were to sit with you and, and hear your story, I would say, Who could blame you? And so please, I, I don't blame you. If you have stepped away from Christianity or you're thinking about it, I just want you to consider the fact that maybe you're stepping away unnecessarily. Because the, the justice and dignity for all God that we all want to believe actually does exist. This version of God was introduced to the world by Jesus. You see, until Jesus came along, there wasn't this concept of, of a God who, who loved everybody on the planet. Just think about that for, the mo for a moment. I mean, we're so used to hearing this that it, it just doesn't seem to affect us anymore. But back then... That was a radical new concept. So John writes this down, and some people you know, think that Jesus said this. Some people think that this was John's observation. It really doesn't matter. But when John wrote, for God so loved the, and he's probably thinking, well, I want to say Jews, but I think that after my time with Jesus, I think it's probably greater than that. So for God so loved the world. See, Jesus brought us this idea. Whoever told you that God is is good and just, whether they knew it or not, that idea was introduced to the world through Jesus. And here's the amazing thing. Here's something that just blows my mind. It was introduced by Jesus at a time when there was neither justice nor dignity for anybody. The rich ruled the poor. The powerful ruled over the non-powerful. If you had the money, you made the rules. Might made right. Women, you had no place in society. Children, 
You weren't even given a name because you might not live. By modern standards, there was no dignity, there was no fairness, there was no justice. But into that world stepped Jesus, who claimed that every single person had dignity and that God loved every single person in the world. And here's the most amazing thing of all. Jesus' first century followers who paid dearly for their faith, who were treated incredibly unjustly, who were persecuted for essentially just believing in something. Jesus' first century followers embraced a God that was good and just in a culture that was characterized by injustice. How did they do that? Let me just say this. If you left Christianity over pain and over suffering or over injustice, maybe, maybe, you're on, maybe you're on the way out, maybe you're reaching for the exit door of faith, could you please pay attention to what I'm about to say? Because there may be something that you were not told. There may be something that you have missed. The fact that all of these years later, here in 2024, there are all these, these Christians all around the world speaks to the strength of the theology that surrounds what the God that Jesus brought to the world is like. So John, many years after his time with Jesus, he writes these words, and you can read it up on the screen. He says, dear friends, he's talking, he's talking to Christians, let us love one another. Now, why would we love one another? Is it just because it's the nice, you know, Judean, Galilean thing to do? Because we need to be civil? Everybody just needs to love one another. No, they didn't think like that way back then. But dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. What do you mean love comes from God? You mean love comes from the gods? No, not the gods. Love finds its source in God, my friends. See, this was a staggering concept. And John is writing this at a time when his life is at risk. At a time when him and his friends were being treated unjustly. But he says, love one another. Love is from God. Whoever does not love does not know our God because God is Love. This concept was introduced in the world at a time of extraordinary injustice by this Jesus. You see, this is not natural. This is not natural. If you exclude God from the conversation and just go with what's natural, you do not arrive here. It is not natural. Nature is is not just. Nature is extraordinarily unjust. How many of you have heard of this man here? Stephen Hawking. He's an expert in theoretical physics and a lot of other things that I have no idea. I actually failed physics university. Sorry, mom and dad. I don't think they actually knew about that. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) Brilliant guy. But at a lecture in Cambridge back in, 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 19, in the 1990s, he said the following, and has implications that will get you thinking, hopefully. And here's what he said. It's not up on the screen, but just listen to the words that I'm saying. He says, the terror, the terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. So, well, like, why, Stephen? Why Dr. Hawking? Does this keep you up at night? Why does this give you terror. And here's what he's saying. He says this. He says, 
Our only hope for mankind is that we are able to move to other planets in our galaxy and split up. Because if we don't split up, we will eventually annihilate ourselves. Why would you say that? Is it because of the problem of you know, the, nuclear, the proliferation of nuclear weapons? No. It's because someone who deeply believes in natural selection understands the nature of natural selection. And the nature of natural selection is not dignity, and it's not justice, and it's not injustice. It is completely ambivalent to those things. It is neutral on those things. Those things aren't even categories. Am I making sense? See, I love the sciences. Don't get me wrong. I love the sciences. I study the sciences. I believe in the sciences. We have three doctors in our family. We love the sciences. We do. But according to someone who deeply believes in nature and what is natural, we will eventually, get this, we will eventually destroy ourselves. Natural law, natural selection knows nothing of justice. It knows nothing of love or dignity. At best, Natural selection knows only of tolerance. Now, the implication of this is staggering. And what I'm about to tell you is perhaps a bit of an, an overwhelming thought, but just keep tracking with me. The best way, the best way to rid the world of injustice is just rid the world of God. Because when the God of Jesus is gone, injustice leaves with him. If we could just get rid of God, we could just get rid of this, this haunting sense of, of right and wrong and just and unjust and fair and unfair. If we could just get rid of all of that, we could get rid of injustice and we would get rid of justice because they would just walk out the door with God. And what would be, what would be left? What would be left would be nature which knows neither justice nor injustice. Once there is no God, once there is no objective standard for justice, injustice ceases to exist. There are implications. Do you know what we're left with when we have no objective standard for justice? We're left with my justice. And we're left with your justice. And we're left with your justice and your justice and your justice. We're left with Nazi justice. We're left with ISIS justice and majority justice and Klan justice and Putin justice and nature justice and street justice and rich justice and power justice. You have your justice and I'll have mine and don't you dare tell me it's unjust because it's up to you. That's your justice. I have, I have my justice. So look, when we reject God because of injustice in this world, we don't solve injustice. We lose the definition. That's all that happens. So what does the God of Jesus have to say about all of these things? Because if we were to say, okay, God, we don't want you to leave because you're going to take justice and you're going to take injustice with you, what is the solution. Is there a solution for pain and suffering and injustice in the world? And the answer is yes, but we don't, we don't like it. So here's the deal. You see, 
Jesus brought us God's love. I think we can all agree on that. But that's not all he brought. Because the Jesus who said that God is love also taught, fortunately, that God is also just. And here's the part that pushes us out. It kind of freaks us out a little bit, but you've got to take the whole thing or none of it. The part that freaks us out a little bit is that Jesus could not have been any more clear. In the future, there will be the very thing that we accuse God of neglecting. That is justice for all. But there is no justice without judgment. There's no justice without judgment. And this is precisely when our culture and when our first world society, that's when we love to, when we run for cover. Because we don't want a judgmental God, do we? I don't want to believe in judgment. I don't want a judgmental God. You see, if you do not want a God who embraces judgment, you do not want justice. You want something that really, it just can't exist. It cannot necessarily exist. And do you know why we resist the whole idea of God being a God of any kind of judgment? Do you know why we resist that idea or that notion, why it kind of scares us? It's because in your heart and in my heart and in all of our hearts, we know that we all fall short. This idea, it exposes my hypocrisy. You see, I want justice for you. I want justice for you and for you and, and, and for you, but I want mercy for me. It's one of the things I've struggled with the most coming out of this series on forgiveness. I want justice for you. I want you to pay for everything that you've done to me, everything that you've done to my life, everything that you've done to my family, everything that you've done to my friends. I want you to pay for that. I want you to pay for blank. You insert your own thing there. But when I stand before God, I want to be able to state my case and have God go, oh, well, now that I've heard your whole story, you get a pass. Come on over here and have a seat in the A section. That's what I want. But as soon as we introduce the idea that God is the God that has to bring judgment because justice requires judgment, we all get nervous. And who are we nervous for? We're not nervous for those who have offended us. Who are we nervous for? I'm nervous for me. And this is why the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, is the perfect narrative. This is why the gospel survived the first and second and third century. This is why you can't help but look up and think, who would have made this up? This is when the story of the gospel becomes so preeminent and so powerful, and it becomes so overwhelming. Because when God saw the state of this world that he had created, and when God saw that our freedom took us in the direction that he suspected and anticipated it would take us in. When God saw that we all fell short, and you know you fall short because some of you can't even keep local traffic laws. We know we all fall short and we are in a fallen world. But you see, the brilliant thing is that God did not send a judge. God sent a savior. Come on now. Isn't that good news? Jesus said it. He said, For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. For I have not come to judge the world. 
Although the world needs judging, I did not come to judge the world, even though the world is full of evil. I did not come to judge the world, even though my nation is being treated unjustly by Rome. I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. See, this is why if you have stepped away from Christianity, if you're on the verge, if you're thinking about it, if you're reaching for, for the exit door of faith, you need to reconsider. Because you want an objective standard of justice, and nobody, nobody gave it to us like Jesus. And this is the power of the gospel. God in his infinite mercy, his infinite mercy, before his choice to judge, he provided a way to save. Isn't that amazing? See, while Jesus was on this planet, in his time that he spent here on earth, he told um, lots and lots of parables. And a lot of them had to do with the kingdom of God. And in one of those parables, he said, and I'm, and I'm just summarizing from Luke chapter 18. This is where you can find what I'm reading from here, what I'm summarizing from. But there was once this poor woman who lived in a, in a little village, and, and, and she couldn't get justice from the judge. And every day, she would go and knock on his door and say, I need justice, I need justice, I need justice. And this judge in the parable, we're, to, we're told, he did not care about people, and he did not fear God. That's what Jesus said. So day after day, after day, she would bang on the judge's door and she'd wait for him in places and every single day she begged and begged and begged and begged, justice, 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 hear my case, hear my case. Would you lean in my direction? I need justice. I need you to be my judge and hear my case. And in this parable, the judge decides, you know what? The only way to get this woman off my back is to just keep, is to just listen to her. The only way for her to get her to stop following me is to hear her case. And as Jesus is saying this, you know, everyone around him is kind of listening in. And Jesus goes on to say, he says, now listen, if you think a wicked, unbelieving judge could finally be talked into, into the justice a woman deserved, how much more your father in heaven? And he goes on to say this, he says, and will not God bring about justice? Not now. I'm not here to judge. I'm here to save. But will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? You see, if you feel put off, Jesus understands at times we can feel put off. But he says, I tell you, he will see it that they get justice and quickly. However, and this is the question that you and I, we need to answer this question. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? When the Son of Man comes, will he find people like those first century Christians who are saying, you know what? We're not getting justice in this life, but we love the God of justice and we love the God of mercy. We're not getting justice in this life, but we love the fact that our unjust deeds have been forgiven. Will he find faithfulness on the earth? We want a God of love who cares deeply about justice, but who doesn't judge. And my friends, that is impossible. If you reject the God of Jesus, 
you reject the basis of justice and you reject the basis of human dignity. And do you know what you're left with? You're left with biology. And biology will never bring you dignity. Biology allows you to have justice as you see justice. But if you embrace Jesus, you get dignity now and justice later. Now, before some of you just write this whole thing off, if anyone had a reason to stop believing in God because of injustice, it was Jesus. Because the man, the man who taught us that all people have inherent value and are worth dying for. was executed by those he died for. Think about that. He was executed by the very race that he came to give his life for. This man's definition of good and just, which informs your definition of good and just, was treated unjustly. See, evil and just, evil and injustice, they are not arguments against God. There are evidence that we desperately need God. That we need grace. That we need mercy. You see, if you genuinely care about justice, and I believe all of you do, if you genuinely care about justice, you should want Christianity to be true. Because the evil and the injustice in this world, they are nagging constant reminders that something is wrong. And somehow we know that something is wrong. You see, when you hear about pain and suffering in the world, isn't there something inside of you that just kind of you inherently look up and you, and you long for? Isn't there an ache in your soul? Isn't there something that is in you that just says, oh, not again? You see, evil and injustice cause each of us to long for justice. And that long for justice is not attainable in this world. It is something that only a just God could one day provide. If you are really genuinely concerned about justice, you need God. If you are genuinely concerned about justice, you need Jesus. Maybe you're here in the room. Maybe you're, you're online right now. And you have been on the fringe of faith because for some of you, you identify with the pain and suffering that is going on in this world, maybe personally in your own life right now. And you might be reaching for the exit door of Christianity. My friends, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. Would you come and speak to us after the service? The prayer team is going to be over here. We would love to just, to just listen to you and to just love you. Because some of you are in this space 
And C.S. Lewis, he summarizes it perfectly and he says it in this, in this brilliant way. If I find myself a desire, if you find yourself a desire, which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. See, Jesus came to tell people about the kingdom of God and that you and you and you and you remain for another world. And you are reminded of that every single day because you know what could be and you know what should be and Jesus says it will be. If you're a young person that has found it difficult to reconcile injustice in the world with the God of Jesus, if you've walked away, if you're experiencing pain and suffering and injustice right now in this life, would you be reminded of that? Because injustice, suffering, pain, they're not arguments against God. My friends, they're a reminder that we desperately need God. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, this is such a big subject. And for those who say they're Christians and for those who are who are wondering, and, the, and for those who maybe, well, this isn't just all that interesting. I know that what we all have in common is there is an ache on the inside of each of us that longs for it to be better. And Father, it's what you have ultimately promised. Jesus promised that the brokenness of this world, it would be corrected. And then he died so that we would not be harshly judged for our own sins. And so, Father, for that, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for being a good God, for being a loving God, for being a just God, for being a faithful God. So, Father, would you take these words, would you take your words, and would you drive them into our heart? Would you open our eyes? Would you allow us to see? And thank you for the promise that all will be made right in the name of Jesus. Amen.